Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shea. We have a little different show today because for the first time in eight years, uh, we're giving Jeff the week off. So he finally gets to take a break and rest his voice. Uh, I do have a special guest today, and we'll be talking uh, about a little different aspect related to finances and wealth. Uh, kind of the show topic today, I'll call it the psychology of money and wealth. And with me is Dr. Richard Himmer, one of the partners here at Madrona Financial and Organizational Psychologist. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. And the reason I wanted to introduce this topic is actually Richard and I are, are spending a lot of time talking about the psychology of money. I, I recall one of my newer employees, she graduated from university and we were talking about my job and she asked me a, a question. She says, how much of your eight hour day do you spend doing financial planning? I said, well, it's interesting you ask that. I'd say maybe a half hour. I said, well, what do you do most of the time? I said, mm, psychology. Most of the time at my work, it's psychology. I can't just say, oh, look at this chart. We're going to put you 100% in the market because it did better than something else. Why am I be talking to a 80-year-old widow who can't sleep at night if, if her money goes down ever? And so, oh, there's some psychology here. Oh, you want to retire. Oh, you want more time off. You don't want to be the richest person in the graveyard? No? Oh, oh. You know, so really financial advisory is so much more about psychology than it is financial advising. So I, I, I just thought it was really interesting that when I was telling her about my work day, that how little of it was really analyzing numbers on a spreadsheet or doing a financial plan. You know, someone else is doing that. We have to communicate these, these things. We have to find out what makes somebody tick, what makes their life better, what doesn't make it better. So often I've asked somebody with a lot of money, I've said, to them, well, what would happen to your life if I put an extra million dollars into your bank account? How would that change what you do during your day, where you go to eat, what you buy, what you wear, what you drive? How much would that change your life? And they look at me like, well, it wouldn't. A million dollars, five million dollars. How would that change? Well, it wouldn't change it at all. Well, then maybe we shouldn't talk about how to make more money. Maybe we should talk about what's going to make your life better. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's a different conversation. So uh, just kind of introducing the, the topic today. Richard, maybe you could uh, share with the audience your background, uh, kind of how you got here. We love hearing the stories of, of, of that kind of thing. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you for now, Richard. Well, I started in the insurance industry in 1983. So I grew up through that in, in some sort of financial coaching position. And I'd like to springboard off what you said. In financial planning, two plus two always equals four, unless, of course, the government's involved. <laughs> but from that point on, everything I ever did in the, in the way of coaching was dealing with, um, let's just say, the, the husband and the wife on how can they more effectively communicate with each other moving forward about mm -hmm. the money, the accumulation aspect. So I went into after... 25, 28 years in the industry, I decided that my passion was dealing with the couples who were struggling on the communication aspect. Money is simply a tool. It's just an object. It's designed to be your servant. 
But what happens is that when money becomes the, the taskmaster, the happiness of the couple who's trying to accumulate said money suffers. And so back to your half an hour a day of doing the math, because when you actually think about what the purpose of earning the money is, isn't it always just so you can buy more time doing the things that you want to do to be with the loved ones? And that's kind of the definitions that, you know, I remember the conversation that we had some time ago. Money really is just the object. But what is wealth? What if wealth simply by definition means an abundance of, a sufficient amount of, enough of? So enough of what? Well, what if we have enough love? What if we have enough family? What if we have enough friends? What if we have enough time? What if we have enough ability to study, to learn, to talk, to grow? That's wealth. Money's a tool to get you there. Yeah, and I've, I've said on this show a lot, I've, I've used that tool analogy where one way to look at this is if you have a garage, you want to have enough of every tool that's in there. You want a group of screwdrivers and different shape hammers and different power tools. But the analogy also extends to, well, what if you had a hammer, regular hammer, would your tool shed be better if you had a hundred of that hammer or a thousand of that hammer? Well, would you be able to get the job done better? I'm like, well, no, especially if I took away all your saws and all your, your power tools, but replaced them with 10,000 hammers. Okay. Well, that's, that's a person with lots of money but no relationships, right. no hobbies, no anything else. So I heard an interesting analogy from my painter of all people this week. <laughs> he was talking about guys and he said, guys are like a triangle. We can concentrate on our family. We can concentrate on our careers and we can concentrate on our health. Most of us only get to do two of those. We have to pick two <laughs> and one goes away. <laughs> And he was recounting you know, that, that you know, he, he'd gone through uh, some stuff in his personal life. And when his relationship changed, he started working out. And he said, yeah, again, it was two of those things. And we were talking about how I need to work out more because I've been concentrating on relationship and business. And it's like, huh, you're right. One of the things we want to probably talk about today is, Richard, how do we get all three of those in our life? Because it seems easier to focus on a couple of things than so, everything. He's right in one aspect and that it's difficult to balance. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of people who, who purport that we need to learn to balance, like work-life balance and whatnot. And that's actually not the right terminology. What you want to do is learn how to counterbalance. So, for example, if you're raising your children, the one thing you don't give up is your kids' birthdays, the baseball games, the basketball games, the concerts, whatnot. You can't afford to do that. But you still spend more time at work. So that's not actually balanced. But the quality of time you spend in there, you learn to counterbalance moving forward. So during the formidable growth years of money, your focus will be on that job, the career, what it might be. But how then do you counterbalance the other aspects? Now, let's say you hit the retirement. Do you know how to transition? Do you know how to reverse the percentages in your counterbalance? Do you know how then to move to the family instead of just accumulating more hammers, if you will, or more screwdrivers? So I do think of a story. It, it could be apocryphal. I don't even know if it's true, but the story's great. It's told of a, a retiring general, two-star general in, in the Army. He and his wife been married 40-plus years He's been in the military just about the same amount of time, and they, he retires. What they did is they sold all of their properties, all of their goods, and they bought an RV and a car. And they were going to drive across the country. 
visit loved ones, family, friends, historical sites, etc. And they started their journey out in South Carolina. By the time they got to Texas, they both had attorneys to file for a divorce. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, what happened? They were not even counterbalanced. There was so much going on, and the, the crux of the argument was he was starting to tell her what to do and everything. As she reminded him that she's been the CEO, the CFO, the CMO, the chief taxi driver, she did everything. She ran the family business, and he ran his military group. They had not yet communicated that important aspect of the wealth, of the happiness together, and they now needed to transition into a new counterbalanced aspect of their life. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, we talk about wealth and certainly I'm I'm not saying that having money isn't a good thing. Uh, We need a certain amount of money. We need a certain amount of money to retire the way we want to retire, to live the way we want to live. But I think in our society, what I often see is, you know, somebody maybe signs the the big deal or wins the big lottery Mm -hmm. and it's like, wow, that's going to fix everything. They won a hundred million dollars or whatever. I'm like, no, their life just got miserable, I think. Well, I think uh, the research shows, and it's been a while since I've I've, uh, looked at it, but when people win the lottery, they become addicted, get arrested, thrown in jail, and their families break up at a level that's shocking in the 90 percentiles because they don't know the laws of the money. They don't know how to make the money work for them. Right. And, you know, often I've I've thought also that, again, certain amount of money that uh, you need. And when we talk about wealth, the definition of wealth, and you mentioned it earlier, is having enough, having enough to do the things you want to do. That's something that's wealthy in, in, in our opinion here. And would an extra million dollars help most people? Yeah, probably would. But uh, you get to a point where I look at some of these people, oh, they're so lucky, they're a billionaire. I'm like, I wouldn't want their life. Mm. I would not want their life. I, I was talking to another person. He said he didn't want to ruin his kids and uh, they were going to inherit his wealth, but he didn't want to take away their motivation. I said, well, how much are you worth? He says $100 million. I said, well, that ship has sailed. <laughs> I mean, and you're leaving it all to them and you don't want to spoil them? He says, yeah, that's probably not going to work, is it? I said, no, you'd be better off having one-tenth as much wealth. He said, you're absolutely right. And the problem is I'm in my early 60s and that 100 is going to be $200 million by the time I pass away. And I'm totally going to destroy their lives. And now there's an expectation level by the children that they're going to get it. It reduces the motivation. They no longer are intrinsically driven to learn the laws required that the father or the grandfather acquired during his formidable years. And so now they will have the money, but they will not get the wealth and they will not get the happiness associated with it. You know, I was just having that conversation just this morning. I had coffee with the development director at WSU Everett, and uh, she was sharing her story about growing up uh, motivated because she had a tough upbringing and they didn't have money and she didn't have prospects. And I shared my story about growing up farming or whatever, sitting on the tractor, wearing the uh, the plastic dress in the rain, you know, <laughs> the, the, the garbage bag <laughs> in the rain, the famous Brian story and going, this is not how I want to live my life and being extremely motivated to push through obstacles and challenges for the rest of my life, essentially, and to get to where I'm at now. She had a very similar story. Uh, Yeah, you take away that motivation, it's tough to achieve the levels that that we can potentially achieve. So, And it's a tough situation for a lot of my clients are dealing with this side of wealth is they've done such a good job of accumulating money and wealth that they no longer know what it's for. They don't know the purpose 
of that money. So it, it's important that we, we talk about that too, just as we get into this cool topic. Uh, we're, we're running into a break here, but uh, when we come back, I want to continue talking about the purpose of money. Our show's called Growing Your Wealth. You're listening to Brian Evans. Are you ready for retirement? Are you secure that you've got enough money to last for a retirement that could be 20, 25 years? Are your financial roots deep enough to withstand the next financial storm? Well, if you're unsure about that, go to our website, madronafinancial.com, and click on the Get Started button. That'll begin a conversation about how deep your financial roots really are. That's where you can do a rooted wealth analysis. Once you click on the Get Started button, you'll answer a few quick questions, and then you'll be able to schedule a quick 15-minute call with one of our advisors. And they'll guide you from there so you can quickly get the results of your rooted wealth analysis and verify if your roots are deep enough and are ready for the next financial storm. So take this complimentary opportunity to check how deep your financial roots are. Once again, it's madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Once again, madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Now back to more of Brian Evans on Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And with me is my guest, Dr. Richard Himmer. We're talking about the psychology of money and wealth. And when we were coming up on break, we were starting to talk about how wealth affects a lot of our clients in different ways. Sometimes you can have too much. Sometimes money, can, money affects them. Yeah, money the affects The goal is them. to get to that wealth, right? That's true. That's true. We're differentiating between money. You know, does money make you happy? Well, I'd say no. Does wealth make you happy? Well, we're going to maybe define that as yes, because wealth is a all-inclusive term, which includes all aspects of what we want in our lives. And sometimes we, we kind of lose sight of that. But uh, as, as I was going to break, I was mentioning a lot of my clients are struggling with having too much money and too little of the other things and transitioning in retirement or just transitioning or even as a legacy plan or, or so forth, knowing, okay, what was the purpose of that money? Okay, I made the money. How do I make that affect my life? Uh, comments on that, Dr. Hammer. I remember a story. This is going back some time. I had a couple who were really struggling with their marriage, and the divorce was constantly being thrown at each other as a threat. Now, putting in perspective, both the husband and the wife grew up in a very poor circumstances, and they always thought that, well, if they could make enough money, then that would change things and they would be happy. And so the husband was the primary breadwinner and did very well in his chosen trade to the point that they had accumulated a sufficient amount of assets that they couldn't even spend it before they would pass away. And yet right at that point where he decided he would move into retirement is when they both hired a divorce attorney and they started the proceedings. And I got stuck right in the middle working with both of them trying to figure out the best way to split the assets and to figure out how to move things forward. The moral of the story was that their whole dreams from when they were very young was to have enough money so they'd be happy. You see, what I've discovered is that wealth is a process. In the world of neuroimmunopsychology, long word that simply means in, in what we understand now how the brain works and how the body works, disease isn't a one-time factor. Disease is a process. It's a system that permeates into the body and grows. And I'm not going to go into that, but that's exactly what wealth is. Wealth is a process. It's a system. You learn how to be wealthy. You don't become wealthy. You just said it happened overnight, like when they won the lottery. They had a lot of money. They were rich, but they weren't wealthy. Wealthy for me is happiness, joy, and well-being. The capacity to counterbalance your life 
your priorities, to do the things that you have a passion to do, such as feel love, give love, be with those people that mean the most to you, do the things. So some people love to golf, some people love to look at art, some people love to travel. Wealthy means you have the ability, you have sufficient assets to do the things that you want to do. Money is not the key. Earlier in the last segment, you mentioned that, Brian. You talked about that money is one component of being wealthy, but it's not everything. Right. And, you know, so much of what we do here at Madrone Financial, obviously people hire us to help them with their money. They hire us to know that somebody's looking at it, that they're diversified and that they're invested in the things that can help them achieve better cash flow, growth, security, liquidity, tax savings, all those kinds of things. And that's super important, uh, obviously. And, and that's why we, you know, we have a profession. That's why we have, do what we do. But I really don't help necessarily with their creative their wealth. I'm, I'm not talking about their relationships and their, their exercise routine or their hobbies or interests or all that stuff. But what I'm trying to do, what we are trying to do as a company is allow them to kind of take that, you know, if they know that their money's going to be okay. I think one of the, the big things that it's, it's funny because I'll, I'll meet with clients all the time and I look at their financial plan and go, oh, you guys are just fine. It might take me years to convince them of that. Often it does. They're like, well, I don't know about that because, you know, something could go wrong. And, you know, what if, what if the market plunges and then they come back after COVID and they, well, the market plunged. If I could just interrupt yeah, real quick, sure. it's because they're focused on the wrong things. They've been conditioned that making the extra 1%, the extra $500 or whatever it might be, which is insignificant in the big picture, is what they're driving. In. And that's like a first half and a second half of life. In the second half of life, you need different tools. You need a different balance. They're still focused in the first half of life, and so they haven't transitioned to bring that balance in. They're still focused on only one aspect. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I have another analogy. A, a client brought this up to me, and I'm not sure if I liked it or not, but he gets together with a group of guys every year, and they talk about their life and so forth, and they have a yardstick there. And that's their life, okay? And they mark where they're at on the yardstick. They take off the last several inches because the last couple of years of your life may not be awesome. And they look at what's left. Hmm. <laughs> and it's like, hmm. oh, <laughs> there's not a lot of the yardstick sitting there. And I've got millions and millions of dollars and I'm constantly worried about money and running out of money. Because they haven't transitioned into that different mindset, mm -hmm. in a wealth mindset instead of a money mindset. Right. And so more money will not make them happy. And if they don't know that they're okay, so you can't know you're okay just by looking at a statement going, well, I don't know, is a million dollars a lot or a little? Is three million a lot? Is 300,000 a lot? Or I, I don't even know. 300,000 might be way okay because, well, I do, you know, we do have both have pensions and social security and I bought an indexed annuity that pays me cash flow for life and I have the, these rentals and I, I'm bringing in more than I did when I was working. Okay. You don't need millions of dollars in the bank in addition to that, you're fine. Or, But by doing the plan, we can look at it and say, okay, we've factored everything in for the rest of your life. And I've always said to people, they say, well, isn't, isn't it hard to project out? And, and well, sometimes, but you know, we, we can get pretty pretty accurate. But you know, when you're doing financial planning, the more of the yardstick you have left, the harder it is. You know, I've said on the show before, financial planning gets real easy when somebody comes to me and they say, I got a million dollars and the doctor says I have two years to live. What do you think I should do? 
do. I tell him, tell him, well, you should spend a half a million dollars a year for two years. I mean, it's really easy at that point. I have a client who is similar to that. He doesn't think he has long to live. It's it's subjective to what his doctors have told him. And he's got quite a, a stash of assets. His goal Verbally, he says his goal is to spend it down. He wants to be able to spend mm-hmm. all this money. Now, he doesn't have the ability. No. But the point being is that about every two months, I get a phone call and he'll say, hey, I got this project. This is really cool. I want to tell you about it. Tell me what you think. And so I'll stop him real quick and I'll say, what is your goal? What are you trying to do? Are we in first half of life? Are we in second half of life? You tell me and then I'll be able to give you the advice you're asking for. He has still struggled to get out of that idea of the accumulation phase, which he does not need to do. Now, we've had success lately. He's now traveled the world once. He's been to Antarctica. He's got another trip coming up. So he's able to then start understanding that counterbalancing is moving into a different set of skill set or tools that he's going to use for his second half of life. And he's starting to have a lot more fun in that remaining inches on the yardstick. Yeah, and I have this conversation all the time with, uh, and we talk about 1031 exchanges in the Delaware Statutory Trust, which is essentially a retirement strategy for landlords. And the topic always comes up, well, can't I make more money if I just continue to do what I'm doing? Well, yeah, probably. Uh, You probably can. DSTs are a stay-rich strategy, not a get-rich strategy. You've been getting rich your whole life, and at some point, you are allowed to retire from being a landlord. Everybody else retires from their job, but landlords don't. They just hang on forever until they pass away with step-up and basis. Well, you can do a Delaware Statutory Trust and have your real estate, not pay the tax, get the rental income, all of that, and not have the stress of dealing with tenants and trash and toilets and all that stuff. But boy, I tell you, I'll be talking to 80-something-year-olds and they're like, I don't know about that. That's I need to be in control or I I don't know what else I do. My famous story was the guy said, boy, that all makes sense. I'm the right age. I should be doing something else, but I don't have any family. I don't have any kids. I don't have a wife. I don't have any interests. I don't like to travel. I don't have any hobbies and I'm not charitable. I don't know what else I do with my time. So I don't really want to sell it. And I said, well, then don't sell it. I, I don't want to kill you off here, but can I give you some advice? And he said, sure, Brian, what's that? I said, you might want to consider hiring a life coach. <laughs> I was just going to say we were pretty chummy, but <laughs> yeah, there's a cottage industry here waiting to emerge on coaching couples moving into the retirement years because it's a different set of skills. It's a different mentality. Yeah. And so, you know, we have that, that conversation all the time and people just, you'll see the light bulb turn on and it's like, oh yeah, you're right. I guess I don't need more growth of assets. It's done its job. I had the tool. I used it. I built what I wanted to build. I don't really need more of that tool anymore. No, you really don't. Now you need to use what you built, uh, you know, have it do the things you want to do. So financial planning, again, as I started to show off, involves so much psychology. I mean, we're, we're talking about our lives here. We're talking about putting our, a, a wealth plan together where our, our lives are better. I haven't talked about uh, stock market standard deviation or beta or uh, rate of return or, or investment, you know, dividend yields or anything like that on the show because that's, that's kind of secondary. That's just the byproduct of good financial planning. But knowing where you're going, uh, it makes such a difference. 
difference and knowing and just spending that time trying to figure out what that even looks like. Richard, maybe you have some. There's your purpose there. It's so critical to have a purpose. And that little cottage industry joke might be more real than not. But the point being is when you move into those retirement years, wealth management isn't just money. Wealth management is understanding what is your purpose? What are you going to do when you get up in the morning? What are you trying to accomplish? Where are you going to be satisfied during the course of the day? Up until now, your satisfaction came in the fact that you earned more assets. You could then look at the spreadsheet and each time it grew and you got more numbers, you were satisfied. That, that's, that's a dopamine release. But what if your release could be something like, I get to go see my grandchildren or I get to travel the world? There's a, a story that reminded me, this reminded me of Dale Carnegie told it. I forget the book, has something to do with, with stress. It, this is way back in the 20s, independently wealthy, let's say, and he contracts a, um, a terminal disease according to his doctors. And he said, they told him, you have 90 days to live. He said, all right. So what he did is he basically booked passage and travel. So he just started traveling. And he came back from his 90-day cruise and he was healthier than he'd ever felt. So he did it again and he booked mm-hmm. another cruise and he did it again. But what happened though is because he stopped stressing in his world, he took all the stress off. Stress is a number one killer. We don't realize that stress is what's compromising this ability to be wealthy, this ability to be happy. In other words, he lived years past what the doctors told him because the doctors never asked him about his mental health. They only looked at symptoms which were covering what was really going on. That transition is so critical to move into it. Math is financial planning. Wealth management is something that you need to also do to understand how are you going to be happy? What's your purpose? Who are you? I think that's a really good point, differentiating that. Again, we're coming up on a break, so when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on the psychology of money and wealth. Growing Your Wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. And now, here's Growing Your Wealth, presented by Madrona Financial Services. Here's Brian Evans. Often, I run into people that say, well, I really don't want to pay for advice. I can look up everything on the internet. That may be the case. But one of the things I've thought about over the years of being a financial advisor is I look back at people's lives and I consider, well, you probably had, you know, roughly 30 important financial decisions to make in your life. Now, if you make most of those right, you're probably pretty well off. You're probably pretty wealthy. If you get about half of them right, you probably aren't. Because when you make a big mistake and you kind of lose everything or a lot of most of everything you're starting over, that can really set you back. So if you're 50-50, that's not a good place to be. If you make about two-thirds of them right, okay, you probably are doing okay. You're probably not uh, lighting it on fire, but you're you're probably okay depending on the, the size of some of these decisions. So one of the things about financial planning that I think about often is you want to get those few that are kind of a 50-50. You may make a good decision or a bad decision on it, you're not sure which because of your experience or lack thereof, that you might want to get some help or some advice or talk to people that have been through it before. Because some of those decisions, maybe it's buying a house early in life. Maybe it's taking a chance on your education and and going that little extra mile or, or whatever it is that can really make a profound effect on your finances, not only for your life, your family's life, but maybe generationally. So when it comes to financial advice, I think it's critical to make sure that you give yourself as many chances as you can to make as many proper decisions as you can, especially with those important ones along the way. 
Even the mightiest of trees can be blown over if they don't have strong roots. And the same is true for your investment plan. Can your plan withstand a financial storm? Go to madronafinancial.com and get started to request your rooted wealth analysis. You can also click on the chat button and ask us anything. We have a searchable library with answers to your questions. Visit madronafinancial.com. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And with me is my special guest, Dr. Richard Himmer, one of the partners here at the firm and organizational psychologist. And we were talking about the psychology of money and wealth, two different things, money being the, the tool, wealth being your life and living it the way you want to live more. And during break, it was interesting just kind of talking about defining wealth. The question came up, it's, is that kind of like defining love? Can we define love? Can we define wealth? Uh, Richard, some thoughts on that? Yeah, so let me take you back a little bit in time on, on where this research has come in, in the world of neuropsychology. So back in the late 90s, we started discovering a number of things. And so there's a documentary out called In Utero. And in the documentary, they talked about the impact that the fetus receives or has upon the environment in which the mother is living. The very last comment by one of the doctors in the, in the movie was, when a baby is understood, a baby feels loved. Love is understanding the baby. And I've thought about that for years, and I've also done a little research on this term love. And so for about two and a half to three years, every client that came through my door, and I actually, I did a lot of mortgages back in those days as well, and I would see credit reports, and credit report was just in print writing about what that couple has done for the past 20 years or so. Um, And there were a number of people who had to explain why this certain thing was on the credit report that the other spouse didn't know. So I ended up beginning getting in the middle there. But the story went this way. I would often ask them, help me understand, in your opinion, what's the number one cause of divorce? Now, keep in mind, they're in there to get a mortgage, and we're also working on coaching. I'm teaching them how to get out of debt. I did a lot of that type of coaching. And probably 90 plus, maybe 95% of the people always answered money. That's the, that's the cause of all the divorces. Well, there's nothing to support that at all. The number one cause of divorce from what I saw back in those days was a lack of communication. They didn't know how to talk to each other. So a couple little things here to consider. <laughs> I made a few notes on this one. So if you think about what is it that causes challenges in your life, at this stage, if you're listening to this show, it's probably not enough money. There's a certain threshold that when you have enough money, Increasing your money is as diminishing returns to the point it it doesn't have any impact, such as giving someone an extra $1 million. But we need to understand that the number one cause of children being delinquent is stress in the home. So what is it that you're doing? Are you balancing that part? So if we were to spend just a few minutes, Brian, maybe talking about, okay, then how can I become wealthy? If money is a function of two plus two is four and I'm managing it using my intelligence to put it in the right places, because money's an object, but wealth is a state of being, then what can I do? Can I get somebody that I trust, that I respect to take care of my money? And that's why Madrona is there. What can I do to improve my position moving forward? Well, the number one cause of stress in the home is also the number one cause of your divorces. Your relationships that are stressed... And if you're stressing over money, 
doesn't make sense. You're stressing over the wrong things. It's only one component moving forward. So what if having happiness, joy, and well-being is more a function of learning to do, having a purpose in your life, during to do the things that make you the most happy? Money has become a replacement for happiness. It's not what's going to get you to be happy. Right. And, you know, so I totally agree with what you just said, um, because that is often what I'm talking about when we're trying to make that transition with clients into understanding, first off, that they have enough money. Again, that's why we do the financial plans. All of our new clients, we do a lifelong financial plan. It would be easy for me to just say, well, why don't you just move your money here? We won't put in this extra work. We don't need to figure this out. You have what you have. Right. Because that's not enough. It's, it's okay. I have what I have, but do I feel like it's enough? Do I think I've, I've taken care of what's going to come down the road? Uh, I've got some things I want to spend money on. What if I live a long time? What if, what if this? What if that? And so by going through those what if scenarios, taking that fear away, helping, you know, alleviate that fear is huge. I can't imagine just saying, I'm going to retire. Well, do you have enough money? I don't know. I'm the right age though. My friend retired. That's what everybody say. else is doing. When they're my age. Doing. <laughs> I said, "Well, wouldn't you like to calculate that out? And maybe take a look at it." And and so, yeah, I guess so. Or, or my, one of my favorite meetings uh, is often the one where we, uh, you know, we run a plan for them, and I'll say, "Well, how long are you going to work?" Uh, probably the rest of my life or whatever. And I said, "Well, can I show you what it looks like if you retire in a year?" And they look at it and go. Well, that can't be right. I mean, okay, what's what's wrong on this, this statement? What, which number it's do I have perception. wrong? Yeah, and they're like, well, really? Uh, yeah, and and I'm sh- these are your numbers, right? And, well, yeah, but you put in more spending than I'm going to spend. Yeah, I did that on purpose. Well, anything else? <laughs> and they look at it go, we're going to leave our kids that much? <laughs> we need to spend some more. I, mean, I can retire now? I don't have to work for the rest of my life? I don't have to work five more years, ten more years? No, you don't have to. Oh, you know, just seeing that light bulb come on is huge. So what we do can be so life-changing. It's, it's like a football analogy or any sports analogy. You always have game plans, right? The reason you have a game plan is not because you're going to be able to execute it perfectly because no good plan survives contact with the enemy. Game plans give you probabilities. You have a higher probability that if you have a game plan, you've practiced the game plan, you know how to to react or to respond under certain circumstances, then you can focus your energy on other things. What a financial planner does, such as Madrona, when they go through the seven steps, the seven roots, they give you the highest probability that you don't need to focus your energy unnecessarily on only one aspect of your happiness, your wealth. They take care of that part of you. Then you transition into the other parts and you create a new game plan. If you're not creating a new game plan, you're going to live your second half of life identically to the first half of life, but you're going to be at home doing it instead of at work. Boeing did the research initially when they started retiring and people were living less than two years after retirement Mm. because they had no purpose. What is the purpose? What's the game plan? What probabilities are you dealing with and where's your focus? Yeah, having that that purpose is is huge. And one of the things we talk about also is I know that Jeff brings up this analogy. A lot of people are driving on the road at 60 miles an hour. They're working. They're they're going all all out. And then they retire without thinking about what they're going to do next. It's like hitting a brick wall, going from 60 to zero, but doing it all at once, just 
immediately. Well, that's not good. You want to maybe slow down and come to a gradual adjustment, you know, before you make that right or left turn. You don't want to make the turn at 60 miles an hour and turn your life upside down if you don't have a plan. Uh, what are you going to do with that time? What are you going to do that's important? I used to go to spring training with my dad in, in March, and I go down. I remember going to this guy's trailer once, and, and he was telling me, boy, I got it made. I sleep in. We watch Judge Judy. Uh, I golf. And we go to bed early, and I sleep in, we watch Judge Judy, I golf, and I go, don't you wish you had my life? I'm like, no, your life sounds terrible. You're staying warm until you die down here in Arizona. That sounds like a terrible life, honestly. There's no purpose. So the analogy of spring training is interesting. Um, I mentioned right before we started the show that I was once, uh, when I was coaching Little League, we got to go to the Kingdom and visit with two of the Mariners, uh, Mike Blowers and Dan Wilson. And they were teaching my, my Little Leaguers the very basics of fielding, the very basics of throwing. And then they said, this is what our first week at spring training is all about. We're doing the basics over and over and over again so we don't lose them. Okay, so here's the psychology coming out in this whole story. The basics in happiness, joy, and well-being are effective communication, are learning how to connect with your loved ones. You've been working or tending Moms whose children fly the coop when they become empty nesters, that's a tough time. It's the same toughness that when the worker in the family stops working all of the time, the primary breadwinner. Those are massive transitions. If you haven't transitioned yet, what Brian is saying is great medicine. Start processing. What does that look like? What am I doing? Much like a financial planner will look at the markets, look at your portfolio, Put it in the right places with alternatives, etc. That's your cup of tea. But in my cup of tea, what are you going to do with your life? What is the purpose starting tomorrow? When you get up in the morning, do you have it structured? Are you deliberately going through life or is life just coming to you on a silver platter? Other than the golf. The rest of that story wasn't very appealing <laughs> yeah. to me at all. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, definitely the, the golf one in your case. So if I were to break that down into its component parts, I'm sure most of the audience has heard of the term emotional intelligence. In emotional intelligence, what they've done, this also started in the, in the late 90s. Daniel Goleman wrote a best-selling book just called Emotional Intelligence. Let me apply that then to how do you then transition? What do you start focusing on? There's five steps in this story, and they're all applicable to obtaining wealth. Step one is self-awareness. Know yourself. Know your goals. Know your identity. What gets you excited? What doesn't get you excited? Can you even codify that? Can you write it down? If I were to ask you, tell me what you're going to get up in the morning for. What gets you excited? Do you have an answer? Judge Judy cannot be that answer. Number two is self-regulation. Do you have the ability to act on what you know? Can you regulate your own boundaries? Do you know how to protect a boundary? I'm going to side note here. I'll come back to this. It's something that I hear often with our planners. So you have a husband and wife coming in to do a plan. And let's just stereotypically, the husband's doing all the talking and the wife is very quiet. And then the question is asked of the wife and then the husband answers for the wife. Or the husband simply says she doesn't need to be here and they come in without the wife. This is a critical aspect of self-awareness and self-regulation because you don't know what you don't know. 
let's just pretend on the stereotypical story that the husband's made all the decisions, he's been the breadwinner, the wife has raised the children, and then all of a sudden, two weeks after the plan starts, the wife or the husband passes away. What happens now? What doesn't she know that she does need to know in order to, to carry out the rest of her life? That's happiness. When you can be able to talk, when you both know what's going on, when you both have a purpose. This is why we're going back to spring training and doing the basics. Maybe you need to rebuild the relationships. Maybe not just with your spouse, but maybe with yourself, maybe with your grandchildren. Step three. This is called self-motivation, but I, I use different terms. There's a difference between learning how to learn and learning how to just gather information. One's a lifelong learner. One's a self-help junkie. Self-help junkies are people who are ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth or how to do something. They're unconnected learners. They don't know how to connect the dots. I have many clients who are better read than I am in the world of psychology, yet they're paying me the money to help them find solutions to happiness because they don't know how to connect dots. What a great thing to do in retirement. Learn to be a learner. Learn a new trade. Learn a new skill. Learn music. Learn golf. Well, forget golf. You'll never learn it. <laughs> Number four, this is where the problems are driven in the home. It's called empathy. I know people think that empathy is walking a mile in someone's shoes or learning how to relate to what they're doing. That's empathy. Empathy is knowing how another person thinks and feels from their perspective. Wouldn't this be a great time to empathetically connect with the rest of your loved ones? Does the husband who speaks and speaks and speaks and doesn't, and is it the uh, virtual know-it-all, really empathize with his wife's position? Does she even have a voice? When we talk about wealth, we're talking about what every human being is driven to do at the beginning of life, and that's to connect with another human being. How many grandchildren do you have? Do you connect with them? Do you know about their baseball games? What about your children? Would it be a great idea to start connecting with them? And number five are called interpersonal relationships. The epitome of love, the epitome of wealth is relationships based on mutual trust and respect. Getting it balanced in life or counterbalanced is learning how to bring in these aspects in the rest of your life. Money is one component. This is where your happiness and joy and well-being will be. And that's a summary of the emotional intelligence. Uh, we're coming up again against a break. So when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on the psychology of money and wealth. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And if you have questions about our topic today, you can get them to us by emailing us at plan at madronafinancial.com. That's plan at madronafinancial.com. And while you're there, take advantage of the opportunity to see how deep your financial roots really are. If you've ever said, I'm not sure how I can retire comfortably, I'm stuck because I don't want to pay the big tax bill, or I just don't know the right questions to ask, you need a check of your financial roots. And it is very simple to do it. Simply click on the Get Started button. When you do that, you'll give just a little information about yourself. Then you can schedule a 15-minute call with one of our advisors. That advisor will do a cursory evaluation of how deep your financial roots really are. And again, this is a 15-minute call. We're not going to try to sell you anything because we don't know what you're all about yet. At that point in time, the decision is up to you. If you don't want to continue, simply say, no, it's not for me. But if you do, simply tell the advisor that and begin your conversation about your rooted wealth analysis. Once again, very simple to get that. No cost, no obligation whatsoever. Go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. 
Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And with me is my special guest, Dr. Richard Himmer, one of the partners here, an organizational psychologist. And we're talking about the psychology of money and wealth. We have been focused on the psychological aspects of that. Now I want to kind of pull it back in together to talk about what does all this mean? What what does Madrona do to help with all of this? What can I get from this? And uh, during the break, uh, Richard, you mentioned something interesting to me, kind of having a a blueprint for retirement. We have a blueprint for our jobs or our careers and so forth. We have plans, we we execute, skill sets we learn, we spend a lot of time on that. And then come to retirement, and you mentioned a lot of people just wing it or DIY it. Can you speak more on that? Yes, let's use the blueprint to start with. From, let's just say you start working at 18. You have a blueprint. You know what you're doing. You're trying to accumulate as much money as you can. And as you're going along through those years, you you get with a company. You have a salary now. You have benefits. You know, they change the pensions out. They now make them 401ks. Then you had the IRAs, the Roth IRAs. So you have all these different tools to allow you to accumulate. And now you have. You've accumulated. You've used a blueprint to accumulate. But what we haven't done is we're not now creating a new blueprint for retirement. So starting with just Madrona or financial planners as a whole, financial planners will give you some degree of a blueprint depending on their expertise. And you're going to speak better this than I am. But if you're just selling an annuity, you're not doing a financial plan. You're giving another tool. A financial plan is a blueprint that gets feedback from what's going on and then adjust to that feedback because it's covering everything within all the tools needed in that retirement to give you wealth. So um, alluding back to the book that you wrote uh, called The Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement, y'all have seven roots within that that create a blueprint for that that follow-up. And there aren't a lot of numbers. There's some. But there's not a lot of numbers needed in there. So I'll be bold enough to read them mm-hmm. to you because sure. I know you know these. So we start with a lifestyle plan. What's a lifestyle plan? A lifestyle plan is just about what are you going to do with it? What do you want it to look like? This is your passions, your growth, your what you want, your purposes that you're going to have. Now, you're going to have to speak to a growth plan. What's a growth plan? That's the second route. Right. I mean, a lifestyle plan, I was talking earlier again, uh, most of my job is not spreadsheets and financial planning. It's lots of other things, psychology. Uh, A lifestyle plan is not something I put on an Excel spreadsheet and share. Here's your lifestyle plan. Don't know anything about you, but here you go. That is what a lot of advisors do. And that's where that cottage industry used to be there. Let's transition ourselves into what's our lifestyle look like now. Yeah. uh, Selling me an annuity is not a lifestyle plan. Okay. Maybe an annuity is part of that plan, but... A lifestyle plan is not a spreadsheet kind of thing. A growth plan is more of the financial planning. That is the investments and and so forth. And you know we want growth in our portfolio, but not sacrificing everything else to get it. With growth becomes risk. Uh, you know, my famous story: the guy came in and said, "What I want is twenty plus percent a year return. I don't like to take risk. I want it liquid." And I'd like it to cash flow. And I said, would you like that to be tax-free too? He said, yeah, can you do that? And I said, no, I can't do all those things with one investment. So a growth plan, you know, is, is combining the different aspects of that. And that requires a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Now, and I'm not a planner, but I, will, I do know this. If it's a one-horse show, a one-pony show, that's not a growth plan. No. 
It's one little aspect of it. And it may be a, a plan for a while. Maybe your, your one pony show is your business. But is for now. It, yeah, for now. But that's got to change, too. So your growth plan is going to change because the next one's a protection plan. Why do we need protection? Shouldn't we just grow, grow, grow and take max risk for the rest of our lives? And it's not just protection on your money. Mm-hmm. Your money should be protected, part of it. Some of it should be a little bit more aggressive. I get that. I'm not going to go into that. But a protection also means identity. It means insurance-wise. There's a lot mm-hmm. of reasons you want to protect yourself against things that will happen. We don't live in a world where everybody you walk into is honest. We need to protect ourselves in a lot of different facets. Money is only one of them. Yeah, you mentioned insurance. I mean, why do you have health insurance if you're listening? Do you have insurance on your house if it burns up? Do you have car insurance? You don't get up uh, out of bed in the morning and go, you know, I think I'm going to get sick today. I'm going to crash my car and my house is going to burn down. Yet you're paying insurance every day for all three of those things. That's right. And so that, that also applies to your investments. You don't get up every day, boy. Can't wait for the market to crash today. You know, you don't know when it's going to. You know it does. You know things happen, that things change. What was important to you in your 20s has changed. It's not important now. We hope. We hope, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not everybody. A second half of life idea. Yeah. People that are Uh still in their 20s when they're in their 70s uh, mentally uh, uh, probably aren't listening to this show anyway uh, called Growing Your Wealth. So, yeah, so that, again, not a spreadsheet thing. It's a protection plan, something different. And then Uh, you have a tax plan. Brian, mm -hmm. what's that? Well, tax plan is we all know that one of the things that takes away from our lives is paying taxes. I don't know anybody that wants to pay more taxes than they have to pay. Now, even people that, uh, politicians that are saying, we need to raise taxes, raise taxes, raise taxes. Well, are you going to volunteer some of your extra money? I'm like, no, I just want to raise taxes. Oh, you mean on someone else? Yes. They always want to raise taxes on somebody else. Someone else's money. Yeah. So taxes are always an aspect. And I've often talked about this with, uh, about other financial planners. I, I hate to, you know, bring up somebody that's not working for Madrona, but I don't know how you get through a meeting with a client talking about their finances without talking about taxes. And if you're not, a, you know, have access to a CPA firm, you really can't do that. And so the, you know, I, I understand, well, I came to you because I asked my advisor a tax question. He said, well, I can't answer that. Consult your tax person. But I'm asking, you're rent managing my money. What do you mean you can't answer a tax question related to my investments? And, you know, have you ever talked to my CPA? Well, no, that never happens. I don't ever, I don't run into any CPAs that talk to financial advisors about anything. It just doesn't connect. So having a tax plan is very unique, I think, to us as a firm and extremely important. I don't have to convince anybody listening that saving money on taxes is important. So traditionally, um, a financial planner is going to be looking forward, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're trying to prepare a blueprint to hit adversarial. You don't have to do too much work if everything's going well. If it's a completely bull market Everybody's great. Mm-hmm. But when the tide goes out, you find out who's swimming without a bathing suit. That's the times you're planning for. A tax plan is actually looking forward. Most accountants really specialize in looking in the rearview mirror. That's mm-hmm. their predominant focus. What we're trying to say is we want, we're bringing both of them into it, looking forward and looking backward, but using the tax plan as a way to prepare also moving forward. Did I get that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a, that's a good analogy, the rearview mirror and the windshield analogy, and combining them both. And so I even take that a step further. A financial advisor might say, oh, I look through the windshield. Well, 
don't you want to see what's around you? <laughs> Where are you coming from? Uh, what's behind you? What's in front of you? You know, you, you need to be aware of everything. And again, this, uh, this concept that I've talk to potential clients and clients they they say what do you mean my cpa doesn't talk to my advisor and it's like it's invariable that that that's the case that it just doesn't happen so important to get there next on the the seven steps where we you know we bring the psychology in is a healthcare plan nobody plans on hey I, again I, you know get out of bed and go huh i'll get cancer today i think i'll get cancer yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, i didn't have it yesterday but i have it today it's something as you mentioned earlier it's a process Health is a process. The day we're born, that clock is ticking. We're going to pass away someday. And how we get there, how we live our life, all this matters. We don't know what our health is going to be necessarily when we're doing our plan. And and one of the points that I wanted to bring up, uh, you you brought up, well, what if you do a a plan and provider passes away in a year or two? I tell people all the time, and you just mentioned uh, maybe one's more active and kind of dominates the conversation. And I'll turn to them and go, this is this plan isn't for you. And I go, what do you mean? Well, you're you're eight years older than your wife, and you just told me she's going to outlive you. She's going to live 10 years longer, so that's 18 years. This plan is for her. You're gone. <laughs> it's not for the first to die. It's for the second. And that's part of the wealth process, learning how to communicate, right. learning how to reduce the stress. A blueprint reduces stress. It doesn't eliminate it. Right. It reduces it and gives you the highest probability that what happens in the future you've planned for. Right. And so, you know, that conversation often then turns to the person I'm really planning for. It's like, okay, he's fine. Now, sir, could you not talk for a while? Because I want to. That's really a good point. Yeah. I, I, what do you think about all of well, I think he's crazy. He takes all these <laughs> risks. I can't sleep at night. I'm going to run out of money. He's going to be dead for 18 years of my life. And I don't know what's going on. And one of the biggest challenges, now I'm going to come from the world of psychology mm-hmm. again, is when a couple gets in, and, and this happened a lot to me when even today in, in my profession, where there's going to be one who's a lot more verbose than the other. It's having the skill set to invite the person who's verbose to listen and be empathetic for a short amount of time to grow that skill set and give a voice to the other person that's going to be most impacted. If your planner is just listening, so I'm going to speak to those who are the quiet ones right now. Mm -hmm. If your planner is catering to your spouse who has oral diarrhea, now's the time to maybe consider a new planner who will then be able to hold a boundary and allow you to have a voice because this plan is for you. Right. Uh, one of my other uh, common jokes is I'll tell a couple because they, they often have different views on risk and return and growth and all this stuff. And I'll say, well, uh, one of the points of this meeting is to make sure each of you leave this meeting equally dissatisfied with whatever we come up with. <laughs> well said. Because, you know, we, we, we don't get everything we want. But understanding what the plan is for, who's it for, what uh, is likely to happen is so important. We're, we're kind of up on the end of the show. I got two more. I've got the, a gift plan. Again, gifting is not something I put on a spreadsheet. I don't, you know, I'll say, oh, I, I just met you, but I've already prepared your gifting strategy here yeah. without talking to you first. And your legacy plan. Uh, well, I've, I've got that too. I had a spreadsheet that I already made up before I met you. Well, no. <laughs> that, does, that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. <laughs> There's psychology to all of this. The legacy plan, the gift plan. So again, to recap the seven financial roots and how it all ties in, a lifestyle plan, growth, Protection, tax, health care, 
gifting and legacy are all attributes. Uh, there's a little bit of spreadsheet, a little bit of financial planning in there, but the psychology of money and wealth, uh, wealth being having enough of different things in your life to make your life uh, the way you want it to be. Could do this all day long, Richard. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate your input on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. And appreciate you guys listening out there. And hopefully you got something out of this kind of thought-provoking so you can think about how money plays in your life, how wealth plays in, and maybe uh, have some impact on that going forward. So, again, thank you for listening today. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. DST investments are only available to accredited investors that are offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents.